Hello and welcome to another episode of Mr. Beitzel's Breakdown, a Georgia Studies podcast. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be reviewing our week of April 20th uh, from our digital learning days, uh, beginning with the qualifications for our members of our General Assembly and our executive branch, as well as how bills become a law in the committee system. So let's start with our qualifications, beginning with the legislative branch, the first article of government that's put under the Constitution in both the U.S. Constitution and in the Georgia Constitution following its Bill of Rights. So Georgia has a bicameral legislature, which means it has two houses. It has the Senate and it has the House of Representatives. The members of the Senate are called senators and the members of the House of Representatives are called representatives. The Qualifications to be in both are very similar, but they have some minor differences. To be a state representative, you must be 21 years old. You have to be a citizen of the United States and have lived in Georgia for at least two years. You must live in your district for one year. Uh, you must be a the you are only elected by the members of your district. You serve a two-year term, and you can serve as many consecutively as you want. And the role of the House of Representatives is to pass laws. There are 180 members of the Georgia State House of Representatives. It is the largest legislative body in the state and it is part of the legislative branch. So how is that different from the senators? Well, the senators basically have the same qualifications. They have to be a citizen, live in Georgia for two years, live in their district for one. They are elected by the members of their district. They serve for two years with no limit. And their job is to also make laws. So those are all exactly the same. The difference becomes to be a state senator, you must be 25 years old. And there are only 56 state senators. So what's the difference about? The difference is about the amount of power each one has. There are 180 state representatives, so there are more of them. They represent one one-eightieth of every person in Georgia. So if you line up 180 people, they could all be represented by one different person in Georgia. So they have the least amount of power individually because there are so many of them. So their vote is diluted by the votes of others. State senators, there are only 56. So that number is significantly smaller, so they have a little bit more power. And that's why the qualification of age goes up just slightly, four years, in order to be a state senator. So when you look at these, if you, if you gauge these by the amount of power they have, it's a hint as to how strict or restrictive the um, requirements to be in that place would be. So that brings us to the executive branch and the qualifications for our governor and our lieutenant governor. These two people's qualifications are exactly the same. And the reason is, is because the lieutenant governor at any moment can become the governor. And if that's the case, then the lieutenant governor has to fulfill all of the basic requirements it is to be a governor. So to be a governor or lieutenant governor in Georgia, you must have, you must be at least 30 years old. You must have been a citizen of the United States for 15 years. You must have lived in Georgia for six years. And you are elected by all the people of Georgia. So, again, you have a larger constituency because there's only one of each of these people. So you have more power, just like when we talked about the legislative branch. The more power you have, the more people that are voting for you, the more stringent the qualifications. So it goes up. And so since you were elected by that many, you have to be a little bit older. And they both serve four-year terms. Now, this is where things get a little different. The governor of Georgia can only serve two four-year terms back-to-back. 
and then the guy, that person's not eligible to run again. They can come back after taking a one-term break, but they're not eligible to run for unlimited terms. The lieutenant governor, however, can run for an un- unlimited number of terms in a row. So there are four years, but the lieutenant governor can just keep running for lieutenant governor over and over and over again until that person tires of being lieutenant governor and retires or wants to become governor or do something different. Now, where their roles are different is the biggest difference between these two because they do very different things. The governor's role is to enforce the laws. He's a member of the executive branch, and that's what it does. He's also required to propose the state budget and to manage the state agencies. So he proposes the budget, and then the legislative branch changes things around a little bit if they want to, and then they'll send it back where he can sign it. And that's his other role as a check on the legislature is to sign or veto laws. So as we learned later this week, or as we learned this week, that you know the governor has three opportunities with every law. You can sign a law, you can veto a law, or you can just ignore the law, at which point it becomes a law after 40 days. So that is one thing. That is the role that the governor plays in making laws. So what does the lieutenant governor do? The lieutenant governor is the president or presiding officer of the Senate, which means he runs the Senate. Even though he's not a member of the Senate, he's the, he makes the decisions, and he's also a part of the person that chooses the heads of the Senate committees. So as we learn, we learned about how a bill becomes a law. Senate, the committee system is very important because it determines which bills uh, come up for laws at all. So the person that's in charge of those committees is very powerful. And the lieutenant governor being involved in choosing those people is a little bit of a check on the legislative branch. Um, and the lieutenant governor can also determine what bills come up for a full vote in the Senate because he, again, is the head officer of the Senate. So lieutenant governor's role, basically the only thing, he ha- only thing he's required to do is become governor if the governor dies, but he has a couple other duties um, that the that office has picked up over time, including the appointing of the heads of different committees in the Senate. So those are the qualifications. Again, they're basically the same for governor, lieutenant governor, with the slight exception of the consecutive terms. Governor, only two consecutive. Lieutenant governors can serve as many terms in a row that they want. And then their roles in the lawmaking process are very different. So that brings us to how a bill actually becomes a law. And this is a simple process in terms of like how it works, but it is tricky because it it has a lot of steps and they repeat each other over and over again. So how a bill becomes a law. First, you have to just like have an idea for a law. And and that can be from anybody. As long as you tell your representative or senator that you want it to be a law, you can go ahead and uh, get them perhaps to support that and then write the bill. Once the bill is written, then it has to be presented. So let's for our purposes for this example, let's say it was written by a member of the House of Representatives. That person will present the bill to the full House of Representatives because that's where that person works. So the bill will begin with a first reading in the House of Representatives. It will then be assigned to a committee in the House of Representatives or a House committee. As we learned earlier this week, committee system is where they have a smaller group of people focused on very specific issues. So think Jimmy Carter was on the education committee. He was focused on education. So all of the bills about education go to that committee. So if you write a bill in the House of Representatives then, and you present it to the House, it's then assigned to a committee. And that committee studies the bill. They may make some changes to it. They might um, talk to some other experts and interview people and figure out the best way to have, have that law be the best, you know, wisest to go to our principles law for to help Georgia citizens. So once the committee has approved the bill, they'll send the bill back to the entire House of Representatives, where then it can be debated by all the members. They can discuss it. They can debate it. They can go give speeches for or against it, and then they'll vote on it. So every member of the House of Representatives votes on the bill, and then it passes. It gets 50% plus one of the vote. 
uh, it'll go, it then must go to the Senate. So for a bill to become a law, it has to pass both houses, both chambers of the General Assembly. So then it'll go over to the Senate part and it'll go through the same process. It will get a first reading in the Senate. It will then be assigned to a Senate committee. That Senate committee will study and look at it just very much just like the House committee did. Different people, different eyes. They may interview the same people or different people. And that committee will then give its recommendation and send the bill back to the full Senate, where, again, it will be debated, discussed, and um, voted on if it comes up for a vote. And once it's voted on, if it passes the Senate and it's now passed the House, it then goes to the governor. And the governor has three choices. She can sign the bill, in which case it becomes a law. She can veto the bill, in which case it does not become a law. Or she can not sign the bill, and the bill will, by default, become the law. The reason the governor might want to do that is to avoid the other aspect of a veto override, which is both houses, the Senate and the um, House representatives, voting with a two-thirds majority, so two-thirds of all the members, voting to approve the bill. That overrides a governor's veto, and that's kind of embarrassing for the governor. So if the governor doesn't like the law, but it's also going to become a law either way, the governor may just not sign it and let it become a law and sort of stage his like protest against whatever the bill is saying in that way. So that's the process that the bill must take. So to review, it begins in one of the houses, one of the chambers of the General Assembly. It's given a full reading, It's then sent to committee. It's then voted on by the full chamber. It then goes to the other chamber, the other uh, house in our bicameral or two-house legislature, and it does the same process. Full reading, goes to committee, and then a vote by the full house. And then if it's passed both in the same language, it becomes a law. Again, there's really only three steps that it takes, but they're the same, and so it gets confusing because you got to make sure you understand the order correctly. So that's where you're going to have to focus on understanding that the order is what changes. So make sure you know full first reading, committee, full vote, first reading, committee, full vote. At that point, you should understand not just how a bill becomes a law, but also how the committee system works. So thanks for listening to this episode of Mr. Beitzel's Breakdown, a Georgia Studies podcast. Hopefully now that is a good review of the qualifications and roles in the lawmaking process of our governor, lieutenant governor, state senators, and state representatives. And also hopefully you have a good sense and good grasp on the process a bill must take in order to become a law in Georgia.